Good morning, everyone. Um, Today's scripture reading will come from Jonah 2. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about, about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have vanished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains, I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with the song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah until, onto dry land. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Good to be with you, you all this morning as we return to the book of Jonah. We looked at it last week, looking at the, the runaway. Now this week we want to look at praying from the depths, uh, taking a look at God's fatherly heart and his care for his wayward children. But before we dive into this, uh, let's say a word of prayer. Father, you indeed are the God of all things, creation, things that we see with our eyes around us, man who has created things like you, been like you in every way, except the way of being in your steadfast love. Lord, you had to do a work in our hearts through your son, that we may be brought near to you, that we may know that you, the joy of our Lord, is our strength. At all times, Father, uh, uh, we are on your hearts, and that should bring us great comfort today, for we know the wandering that we go through. As we take a look at this portion of your word, O oh God, we ask, be gracious to us, that you will show us more of who you are, God, just as we have been experiencing throughout this service today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been in a situation where you instantly regret being there? Or you instantly regret something that you have done? I was once in a situation like that. My friend bought a new car. It was a BMW. It was something that she wanted for a long time. And there was this gate that she was going out of. And the gate had a remote control to it. And there I was, you know, giddy and thought I would be playful and press the close button on the gate so it could close up towards her and then press open just as a little joke. Well, there was a malfunction in the remote control, and the gate ran right into the side of her car, leaving a huge dent. And as you can guess it, I was just distressed, distraught, whatever word you want. I was devastated. I had ruined my friend's new car. And then, you know, I had to pay for the damages. I think that hurt the most. That hurt more than anything, you know. Uh, but, you know, we have these experiences, don't we? Well, we are, maybe we're upset and we say something out of our mouths. We feel like we are right in saying it. 
or we do something, we think we're so right in it, all the things are lining up for us, and we move into it. Or we say something out of our, out of our mouths to a friend or to a spouse uh, or loved ones that we wish we can just take back. Jonah is in a situation where he cannot take back what he has just told the sailors. Throw me into this heart of the sea, and this will calm the storm. And as soon as they throw him in there, Jonah has this experience. (laughs) He instantly regrets having been thrown into the heart of the sea. But as we see through this passage, God turns towards Jonah. He turns his heart towards him. God places a new song in the mouth of Jonah. He places a new song in his heart, a song, a psalm of thanksgiving, a prayer of praise. So from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, as it says in verse 1. And in verse 9, it's a song of thanksgiving to the Lord. What we know, even from last week and through reading the story, while Jonah's heart was stubborn, prideful, selfish, judgmental, God still came near and put a new song in his heart. While he refused to love his enemies and to go where God was telling him to go, failing to have love really towards God, God had a plan to do good towards Jonah, to come towards him in his everlasting love. Even though it was difficult for Jonah to show compassion towards his enemies, he didn't want to. Sound like one of my kids, I don't want to. You know, there's something about the honesty in that, but it's wrong. (laughs) But God did not refrain from pouring out his love and kindness to Jonah. Of course, this is good news to us today. For we know that, that there can be a recalcitrant heart towards God. It becomes easy to kick against God because we feel like, hey, I, I want to do what's right in my eyes. I want to have my way. We recognize that this type of defiance, it runs rapid within the human psyche. It runs rapid within the human soul. For we are born into corruption. We are corrupt. We're disobedient. We don't know how to obey. And God helps us by his grace. When someone is living and doing what is right in their own eyes, sometimes it feels like, I'm, you know, you're getting away with it. That all is grand. Everything is great. But there's one thing. It can be out of alignment with God's true intentions for their lives. Truly, it takes a while to learn how to walk in step with God. You know, don't you wish that every time God tells you to do something that you would just immediately do it? Wouldn't that be amazing? Like, yes, Lord, I hear your voice clearly. I will do it no matter what. But that's far from our experiences at times, right? You know, there's uh, the, through wisdom of a friend of mine, she wrote nine things that I need to work on. You know, and two years ago, I found that list, and lo and behold, I had only improved in two areas. I'm like, what is this? But I tell you, friends, that list was written in 1999, a long time ago. (laughs) Like many of you, I'm still on the road of transformation. But praise God, he is in the long game with us. God is in the long game. And as we see from this prayer, Jonah's heart, it's been, it's been shaped by the songs of Israel, 
by the Psalter itself, by being in the temple with his people. We see the, the, the contours of his heart as he prays here, that he is not necessarily quoting from the Psalter as much as he's speaking from his spiritual transformation, formation of being with the people of God week in and week out. Perhaps he had experienced the joy of the Lord with the congregation. But what Jonah needed most was indeed a, a new transformation, an experience with God that drives him deeper in acceptance of God's compassionate and saving heart towards him. So we see here Jonah is doing a few things. He, he, he's calling out to God. And we see through this psalm here that he receives God's deliverance. And we see here that he declares God's faithfulness to the world. He calls out to God. So what situation is this? Well, this is a very distressing situation. He says in verse 2, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me from the depths of the grave, out of the belly of Sheol, some other translations say. I called for help. You see, Jonah is in a situation where he's experiencing tremendous anxiety. He's in imminent fear of death. He's been abandoned to Sheol. And Sheol, throughout the Hebrew scriptures, as we learn, it's just a place of the dead. It's a place where you have separation from God, where you do not come back from Sheol, where you don't experience the love and kindness of God. The depths of this, the womb of the, of, the, of the world. And so he's going into the inner recesses of this, this sea here. He's going down deep distress that he's experiencing, suffering that he's experiencing. This is overall what's going on. What other situation this is? Well, it's an overwhelming situation. Jonah says that God is the one, verse 3, that hurled him into the deep into the very heart of the sea, the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said I have been banished from your sight. Jonah experienced the turmoil of the sea, the storm that was swirling around up top before they cast him out in the boat. He went into the water and he experienced that situation. It was overwhelming, quite literally, the waves over him as he's in the sea. And God bringing his discipline to Jonah, showing that he is not in control of his life, that he is not in control of this situation at all. So as, as they picked him up and hurled him into the sea, yes, it's quieted down after a while, but Jonah was undergoing a storm underneath, facing his doom. Being forsaken, he says, as he is going down, down, down into the heart of the sea, being banished from the sight of God. There's something about this that hints that Jonah knew that he was in the wrong before God. He knew that he wasn't right with God in this situation. He perhaps he knew that he wanted to have his stubborn way that it was better for him to die, so he thought. But as he's going down, 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 perhaps now he sees this was, that was a foolish request. His initial thoughts, completely rejection by God, permanently isolated from God. And so we see the third thing here. It's a threatening situation, is it not? 
He says, verse 5, the engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. Jonah is being choked out by the seaweed. He's falling more and more into death. There's no way of getting out of this. He couldn't swim his way back to the top. The currents had their way with him. And now the seaweed is wrapping his way, uh, itself around his neck, choking him out while he is drowning. Literally. This is a devastating experience for him. No way out. No way out of this situation. Life-threatening situation. And we see here in in verse 6, to the roots of the mountain, he sank down. Down to the very seaboard. Down to the earth. And he felt like he was barred in forever. And you know, in the Hebrew mind, this is the idea that the gates of Sheol's has uh, that it has a gate, that it can bar you in forever, though. That is no way out. Jonah saw no way out of his situation. There, there was nothing that he could do. You know, when I was um, with some friends one day, and we were out at a lake, and there was this two-story structure there up on at the lake, and, you know, as I walked up, they were just jumping down in the water and trying to see if they could touch the bottom where they were. And it was about maybe 25 uh, feet to the bottom, and I tried it. And so I jumped in and tried to make myself as heavy as possible after taking a deep breath. And so I went down, 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 and after a while, it felt like a while, I'm, I'm, I'm not touching the bottom. This is, this is not working. This is not So I decided, well, just let me swim back up. Don't panic, because <laughs> I'm down here. Let me swim back up to the top. And I got back up to the surface of the water, and my friends were silent. They said, we, we didn't know what to do. We didn't think you were going to come back up. We didn't know whether we had needed to go down to, to get you. You know, thankfully, I love holding my breath on the water. It was one of the fun things I like to do. And so, uh, you know, I'm pretty good at it. And so I held my breath under the water. I, I held my own. But no, <laughs> you know, Jonah had no way out. The, it was no way out for him. Even if he tried to hold his breath, he was going down in the currents of the ocean so deeply and so fast that it was impossible for him to swim back up. The seaweeds went around his neck. So it, even if he tried to swim up, It was no way that he was getting out of that. And Jonah certainly didn't have any friends in the sailors that were considering, should we go in to get him? Should we? It's like, no, they were scared for their lives. They knew there was no way out of that situation. Perhaps they looked at him like a madman. They felt sorry for him. But Jonah was in full rejection mode of the Lord. And he recognized this was a big mistake. And that he should not have done that. Jonah had no way out. The only way for Jonah was the way of the Lord. The one that was a friend to Jonah in this situation was none other than the God of Israel, the maker of heaven and earth. The one who saw Jonah there in the depths was God himself. Did you see Jonah said that God hurled him into the sea? when really he requested to be hurled into the sea by the sailors? And so which is it? 
Was it Jonah that, you know, was, it, was he in control? No, Jonah is recognizing that it was God's decision, that God did not keep him, that God meant for him to go down into the depths of the sea. So he's looking at God as a sovereign God, as the one who's even in control of his own decisions. Now, God is not to blame for this silly decision, of course, but God allowed it to happen. God was going to be the only means of rescue for Jonah. Isn't it like that in our lives, right? We have been in distressing situations, whether it's been medical situations, relational situations. Maybe we have harmed some others. We have gotten ourselves into trouble, and it doesn't feel good. Fear grips our hearts, and we wonder, how am I going to get out of this situation like Jonah was? And maybe there's some overwhelming situations. The hurt is just too much. The pain of life is just too much. The tiredness of the soul has run you aground, and it feels like no way out. Anyone felt tired? I felt tired lately, up through the night. Maybe it's worry that's keeping you there. It can be worry at a season of life, right? And some of us, we do face life-threatening situations. When we're out there in our cars, when we're out there on the metro, when we are, uh, you know, facing the diagnosis from the doctor, this is a life-threatening situation. There's no way out. No way out, humanly speaking. We have gone down to the depths, even as we face our sin. God has shown us that that leads to death in itself. And yes, God wants to heal us in all kinds of ways. God wants to pull us up out of our situations. Why? Because of his everlasting love. And he's the only one that can do it. No one else can figure this thing out. Have you been in a place in your life where you thought, I'm going to figure this out? You know, I have a plan. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm to do this myself. Sometimes as children of God, we feel like we have to prove our worth to God, don't we? Like, instead of coming to God in prayer, we decide that I will figure this out. God is knocking at the door. And we say, well, not now, Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm in the groove of figuring it out. God gives us new creativity. I'm figuring it out. Instead of turning to God, to receive the burdening of whatever we're going through, we rather drudge it out, move through ourselves, instead of turning to him. But sometimes our backs are against the, against the wall. We're like that cat in the corner. It, we're blocked in. It's, it's, it's no way out. There's no way of fighting our way out of this. And so what's the best thing to do? It is to give up to God. Lord, I run to you. There is nothing else that can do. I know this for a fact, Lord. Lord, I have run aground in what I thought was best and how I thought I could engineer this situation. But really, you're the only one that's, can, that can rescue me from this. So where does Jonah land? Jonah land in the only place that he could land, <laughs> near death, right? And it's in this place where Jonah recognize that he needs to open up to God's grace. He needs to receive God's everlasting love towards him. He needs to receive what God has in store for him. 
And we see this throughout this psalm, verse 1, that God answered Jonah, that he was moving forward in great hope that God listened to his voice, that he heard his cry for help. Jonah declared that only God saved him from the pit, the pit of death. Jonah remembered God down in the depths of the sea. That's hope, my friends. That's God's amazing grace to us. And God commanded his release, as we'll see later. But we see this great hope that he receives from God, that God is attuned to his ear, that God is like a mother attuned to the cry of their child, or like a father who hears when their child is really hurting and comes to bring that comfort. God attuned to Jonah's cry for help. And he did need help. Verse 7 tells us that Jonah recognized when my life was ebbing away, when I was fainting away, when he was being passed out from being underneath the weight of the waters and being choked out by the seaweed. He remembered God. His prayer rose to God in his temple. God, his holy temple. And, God, and he said this, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Very familiar verse. Clinging to worthless idols, you forfeit the grace that could be yours. The idols indeed are vain. They're worthless. They don't have any hope for us. An idol can be something that we place our hope in more than God. As we learn through Jeremiah that Jonah and the Lord's people were forsaking God. And Jeremiah called God the spring of living water. We've we've forsaken the spring of living water, and we've turned to cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Turn to, instead of from going to the spring, we turn to the cesspool of life, the idols that will surely bring one down to death. As David Paulson, who wrote tons on idolatry, he said the mind of man is a factory of idols. We are infested with lusts, desires. Listen closely to any person given to complaining, and you will observe the creativity of our cravings. I like that. The creativity of our cravings, that structure to our desires, overwhelming desires and what we want. That's creativity to us running to idols. We make it sophisticated, but really it leads to death. And likewise, Ed Welch wrote, the purpose of all idolatry is to manipulate the idol for our own benefit. This means that we don't want to be ruled by idols. Instead, we want to use them. Idolaters want nothing above themselves, including their idols. This might be new news to somebody here. You don't want anything above yourselves. Idols, however, do not cooperate. Rather, rather than mastering our idols, we become enslaved by them and begin to look like them. As idols are deaf, dumb, blind, utterly senseless and irrational, so those who make them will be like them 
and so will all who trust in them. This was the problem of Jonah's people. They were going to the high places instead of being in the temple, sacrificing to God. They were sacrificing to other gods to help them. Moving over to the high places, giving in over to idolatry. And during this time, Jonah prophesied that Israel would prosper. And God allowed them to increase in their landmass. They took a lot of the lands back under Jeroboam II. But that doesn't mean they were in line with God's purposes. And they weren't. Idolatry was running rampant. And see, we have here Jonah saying that those who cling to these idols, he's coming to the truth of it, the idol of his own heart to run away from God. That's idolatry too, the idol of desiring that harm will come upon another. It can be an idol. The desire for God to bring judgment on someone instead of his sheer mercy can become an idol for us. And that's what Jonah is facing here. Forfeiting the grace, loosening the loving kindness, really losing out on God himself. Not knowing the tender mercies of God because the idol is there for him of his heart. It's very intricate, very tricky. And the only way out is through God himself. And so we come now, we see that he calls out to God. He receives God's grace to his heart anew. And now he declares God to the world. He has here in verse 9, but I, with the song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I would make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. So we see here between the two chapters, the first one and second one, they both conclude with the sacrifice and vows. Jonah and the sailors, as they are facing their peril from the sea, They both cry out to Yahweh, to Jehovah. Both offer worship to him after being physically preserved. They're proud. The proud and prejudiced prophet, he's finally had matured spiritually to the level of the Gentile sailors. So we see that Jonah left the the praying to the ship's crew. Now he is underneath in his mind of his heart and supplication and submission to God, right where he needed to be, to see that he needed to give thanks for God, that he needed God more than ever before in the sea and on the land, that God is a God that wants to give him a new song, a song of thanksgiving. You don't have a song of thanksgiving without knowing the grace of God to your life without knowing how God spares your life and bring you out of the pit. You don't have a song of thanksgiving and a sacrifice and a vow to God without recognizing something honest about the heart, that we are sinners and we don't deserve God's loving kindness. We usually forfeit the grace that could be ours. We move away from God. But God filled his mouth with this new song, And Jonah, in the honesty of heart, saying, 
I'm making a vow. I want to make good on it. And he realizes something over again, that salvation comes from the Lord and from the Lord alone. And it does come from the Lord and from the Lord alone. There's no one other than Jesus who has offered prayers to God, loud cries to God when he was here on earth. Jesus in the belly of the world, he saw all kinds of atrocities, distressing events. He saw his people calling out. They were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus was touched by the recalcitrant hearts of his own people. Jesus was moved to tears as he wept over Jerusalem that God would save Jerusalem, would be kind to Jerusalem, that the people would turn away and have faith in the living God anew. Jesus knew that there needed to be a sacrifice, that there needed to be a, a, a vow that one would keep. You know, the Bible is clear that when we make a vow, we better keep it. Otherwise, don't make it at all. But we have one who sacrificed on your behalf and my behalf, and he kept it to the bitter end. When Jesus was in Gethsemane, he was down in the belly of the earth pleading with the Father. Could that be another way? He was running aground there, calling out to God, facing great distress there because he didn't want to be separated from his Father. We see here notes of that in Jonah. Jonah doesn't want to be separated from God forever. He doesn't want to be barred into Sheol. He doesn't want to lose focus of the temple. But really, it's it's God who doesn't lose focus of us. It's the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that sees us, that looked through the portals of time, if you will, and saw us that we would need a savior, that we would need a true one who would declare to the world that the kingdom of God is near, that God's people should repent and believe in him afresh over and over again. Salvation comes from the one who died on the cross for our sin. He's the one that went down in the depths for us, and God brought him up from the grave. As we see here for Jonah, the the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah out onto dry dry land. There he was. Some people say, given a second chance, maybe this was the plan of God all along. Because he saw Jonah. He saw the stubbornness of a heart. He saw the pride of heart. Could this have been a way that God brought him to see that salvation comes from the Lord. What will it be for us? What has it been for us? You know, God knows how to ache with us in our achy hearts. God knows how to break up the fallow ground when we are starving of heart. God knows how to come to us in tenderness of night when we're in the deepest pain imaginable. We can't get through it without his help, his sheer mercy. Those are the times that we do cry out for God. You know, I was away this weekend at a retreat, and, and um, I was speaking with a brother about our children, and we got to talking about just, you know, the freedom of our children to walk down the street 
you know, without being chased by a dog or without something happening here on the streets in D.C. And we both recognize that it is only the Lord who will keep our children. He will save them from hurt, harm, and, and danger. That God is the one who will shape their hearts through the songs that we sing here. That God will bring to remembrance of their hearts the songs of praise. That he will put new songs into their mouths. That they would declare his praise to the world. Friends, God is so merciful and just. God sees you where you are. Jonah had to learn that that, um, it was not good to go against God, to turn from him. There's still work that God is doing in his heart, as we will see in later chapters. But the best thing to see here is God's sheer devotion to him, that God remembers Jonah, that salvation comes from the Lord as he had declared. Because even as he was put back on the land, Jonah had to go through even more lessons. And so do we as we walk through this life. We will go through more and more lessons that God wants to teach us because he wants to drive deep in our heart this declaration that salvation comes from the Lord. There's no other name given to men on the heaven by which we must be saved than the name of Jesus. He is the one who went to the depths for us. And friends, as we're in the depths of life, we can rest assured that God, our great deliverer, will be with us, and that he will keep our feet on the rock, on the solid ground, our great hope, who is Jesus. Let's say a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for your commitment to your people and how you, oh God, don't leave us. God, you don't abandon abandon us to Sheol, but you are near to your people, near to the brokenhearted, and you give us what we need at all times. We pray this in Jesus' name and thank you. Amen.